It is a real blessing and a privilege and honor to be here. Uh, the first time I was actually up on this platform was a little over 17 years ago, right over there where I married my most beautiful wife in the world. And uh, your, your church was obviously special to us in that. And also, uh, your church was the first one to have us in on, actually before we ever even started deputation, giving us an opportunity to come here for missions conference and the first church to take us on. So uh, I feel like uh, it's like family to be here and really appreciate getting to reunite. You know, our family, uh, every year for this conference, we watch it online in Greece. And uh, so my kids have never been here. It's been about 14, 15 years since we've been here. So they were very excited to come and see everybody, especially my youngest daughter, who could not stop talking about, is Mark Rogers real? Are we really going to meet the real Mark? And she was ecstatic this week. I mean, and... Uh, so it's, it's been a blessing. Thank you all for your service. I know how much work goes into putting something like this on. And I hope you were able to get as much of a blessing out of all of this, because I know you all were moving around and everything, but I know our, our group, my family was extremely blessed and has been and will continue to be. So thank you so much for that and uh, appreciate your pastor. Known him a long time and I uh, known he's gone through, they've gone through a lot. You all have gone through a lot and I uh, appreciate his faithfulness. And appreciate all of you supporting him and keeping him up. And, and uh, it's, it's good to have good men of God. It's good to have good men of God in the church, as your friends, as your pastor. And I, 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 do, I do believe he's one of those for sure, and I appreciate him. So, Well, let's open up with a word of prayer, and we will jump right in. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for yet another opportunity to open your word, Lord, and just... So full, Lord, we have not even scratched the surface of how great your word is, Lord, this week, Lord. We've, we've heard some about how wonderful your word is. We've heard the wonderful things from it, Lord. And Lord, on this final day, I pray that you continue to give us something, Lord, that would help us. Lord, we're broken down physically. We've hopefully had things stripped away that need to be stripped away. And Lord, I pray in this final day that you would help us to add on to it what you would have us to add into our lives as we go forward, and that we maybe take a little bit of the sweetness back to our, old, our own churches, and that we might be able to encourage others there as well. We thank you, Lord. We ask that you bless this time, Lord. Help people to hear your word, Lord. Hear you through me, Lord. Not me, not my words, Lord, but that it might be you and your Holy Spirit working with each and every person here. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Now, I... One, the Marshall family, going way back, has been an incredible blessing to our church from our foundation. And what a blessing to be able to share a pulpit with Mr. Marshall this morning. I mean, 90 years old and still serving God. I wish I had had a grandfather that even knew God. And I appreciate their testimony and keeping at it all these years. And that message he preached, you know, my... I was back in Greece this past week with my, just about a week ago, checking on the people there, and my father went with me on our, his final trip. He retires from our church this Sunday, and he asked, can we stop in Israel on the way there? I mean, once you're talking, going internationally, can we stop in China on the way to Greece? Why not? Yeah, we could do that. So we stopped in Israel for a short time, and I've been there dozens of times. And we're hitting all the things that he hadn't seen in a number of years. And one of those things was the, the garden tomb. And I've been there a lot. 
And you go in the summertime and you have to share the experience with a lot of tourists. Some whom, you know, they, they think it's Disney or something. And they're talking and joking. And, and it's such a special place. And that day we were there, there's a group, I don't know what kind of group they were. But they're off in one of the little chapel areas, about a hundred of them. And all they kept singing was hallelujah. And a woman came out of the tomb crying her eyes out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And it hit me like, you know what? I've been here so often. It doesn't mean to me what it meant to her. And sometimes that's how we get in our Christian lives. That the things of God don't mean as much as they did when we first encountered them. And let our great Savior never become just another part of our life. He needs to be our life. And it's just such a special moment hearing them sing and thinking in heaven one day, I mean, it's going to be a good time. And that is not the message at all. But it was just uh, coming off of that and hearing that. But we're going to talk this morning about fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now you may say, Brother Barkowski, this is a Bible conference and it's Friday morning. I think people are here because they want to be here and they want to hear from God. But you may be surprised or maybe not how many pastors, missionaries, sold out people for God, old and young, have fled from the presence of God. It's a sad thing that it almost seems to happen so common now that it doesn't surprise me as much as it used to. Something is wrong when the people of God flee from the presence of God. And we're going to look this morning at the example of Jonah. Now, out of all the books in the Bible, you think Jonah, if he would ever, was ever informed of God that this, would be, that this was Holy Scripture, God, no, not that book! I did other good things. Let's put that in the Bible. Not this book that really describes what a miserable missionary Jonah was. I mean, you know, we all get those moments of uh, honesty where we might confide to a family member or friend, I'm just a horrible person. Can you imagine if God put that in Scripture for all eternity? Everything bad you've done in your service of the Lord. But that's what we have here as an example to show us so that we do not follow in the path of Jonah. Because we're going to go through it uh, quickly this morning, this book. But really, this book should have been two chapters. Chapter 3 and 4. If he had done what God had told him to do. But we have four chapters, the first two of which will help us so that we can follow God and do as he wants us to do and not flee from that presence. So this morning, I would like all the young people, middle-aged people, and the non-young people to all pay attention because I think it's important for each age group here. It doesn't matter your age. People flee from the presence of God all the time. Let's start in Jonah chapter 1. God jumps right into it with what he did. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here's a prophet of God 
being given a message from God, to go to deliver to the enemies of God, that they're going to be destroyed. Now, as someone who'd been on the mission field, if I knew what Jonah knew, because we're going to see this in a moment as part of his fleeing, that an entire people were going to repent and turn to God, that's like the pinnacle of a mission's calling. Like, I'm going to go to this country, and can you imagine if I told our churches, I'm going to Greece, I'm going to preach one message, and they're all going to get saved. I don't think my support would increase that fast if I did something like that. But Jonah is given one message to preach. And the Bible says he heard what God had told him to do, and he rose up to flee. Chapter 4, verse 2 tells us what his problem was with this and why he fled. This is after God repented of the evil In verse 2 of chapter 4, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying, was I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. He thought he knew better than God. He said, God, I told you this was going to happen. This is why I didn't want to go. He did not want to see the mercies of God be extended to his enemies. He did not agree with what God wanted to do. So what does he say? God, I told you this was going to happen. This is why I said I didn't want to go. You know what that first step starts? When we start to think we know better than God. God wants us to do something. God is showing us and guiding us something. Or... The preaching of the word of God that has been faithful for so long and still is the same. The times have changed a bit in this world. So we think that we know better than the word of God. And we try to adapt more to the world. God, I mean, this thing is very old. It's not up to date. We don't have the information we need to be able to live and not look like weirdos and act like weirdos in this world today. Newsflash, we are not the ones that look and act like weirdos. And Jonah says, God, I knew you were going to do this. He lost trust in God and actually forgot who he was dealing with. You, it, you know, it's not, the, turn, the fleeing from God is not all of a sudden just like, yep, I'm out of here, bounce. No. There's something that's going to start that movement in that direction. And it will start when you start thinking that you know better than God. Or that God, you have lost faith and ability to trust in God and what he says and who he is. Young people, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. But inside, raise your hand inside of yourself. If you think you know better than your parents. Now, I was a young person, so I know that that hand is up right now. There's a certain age where you know that you know better than your parents. And as Christians, we start to think as we mature that we know better than what God knows. And we start to forget who we're dealing with. God wanted to say, God wanted to use this man to preach a message where in the end he would repent of the evil that was to be done to these people. What's that? That's a merciful God. 
And it's, if you go through the prophets and you go through the books of the kings, you see how merciful God is to the people of Israel. Yet somehow or another, Jonah forgets all that or thinks that these people are not as worthy of the mercy of God as he is. Do we do that? There are large groups of agendas that are being pushed in this day and age, and a lot of that stuff is disgusting. It disgusts God. And sometimes it may disgust us to think about trying to win that person or give them the gospel. Maybe, just maybe, they might repent. But we think, Lord, there's no way. Have you ever witnessed to somebody that you thought there's no way that this person is going to get saved, but I'll do it anyway? And you know what happens? In my experience, they get saved. Not all of them, but a lot of times, and it leaves me walking away saying, God, I'll never do this again. Next week, that guy's not going to get it. He's just not going to get it. I'll give him one track. And the guy, what's this? And we start to talk about the Lord. And he opens up to hear about what the word of God says in the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And Jonah, it's like, the mercy of God is good for me. But those people, you know, we have, there's populations around this world, religions, that even as Christians, we may hate those people because of what they've done to us or what they do to our brothers and sisters in their countries. Is it our job to say, God, they don't deserve to hear your word. You say that, you're going to make that first turn away from the presence of God because you think you know better than God. But shortly after we got to Greece, is, uh, ten, a little over 10 years ago, I went to uh, the opportunity to go to Iran. And since I was nine, I wanted to go there and to be able to find opportunities to witness to these people. And I had to book a tour, a private tour, to be able to do this because I'm American. And it cost me like 500 bucks for a week for a driver, a guide, a hotel's car. When you're paying like two cents a gallon for gas, it's, you know, it's pretty easy. But we got to Tehran and I'm supposed to, as an American, I'm supposed to have a guide with me all the time. Well, fortunately, my guide's girlfriend lived in the city. So he's like, you mind if we drop you off at two o'clock and see you tomorrow? That's good. That's good. So with a guy in our church in Greece, we had made a website with the gospel in Farsi before I left. Did not publish it, but had it up ready to go. And I brought like a thousand post-it notes with me. That, so I got dropped off in the hotel and I started writing the website address down on these post-it notes. And once night fell, I'd go out and start putting them on doors or bus stops or anything really that I could find to put these post-it notes on. And uh, the second night, I did the same. I had a little bit of police interest behind me for a short time. So I just wandered throughout the city a little bit. And I came upon the den of spies, the American embassy, where they have the, you might have seen the pictures, the Statue of Liberty as a skull, and it's actually now the headquarters of the secret police of Iran. And I'm looking at that for a moment, like, these people hate me. They hate Jesus Christ. They hate Christians. There are people in a prison not far from me right now that are suffering because they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. You know what? That spirit of Jonah kind of wells up for a moment. They don't deserve to get this word. 
Jonah fled from the presence of God because he thought he knew better than God. Doesn't the Bible say, for God so loved America that he gave his only, no, the world. I am not the one to make the decision about what part of the world is good enough for the mercy of God to be extended to. And once you start trying to make those decisions, you're going to be walking along in the presence of God and turn. And that's the first start to what we're going to see that he did. Look at, uh, look at verse, two, uh, verse 3 again. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish. Now I'm going to give you a few short things this morning as we go through here. Three things first about fleeing from God. And first, it's easy. Because it just starts with a simple turn. You know, uh, any, any baseball fans here? Okay. I saw a video this past week that was perfect, I thought, for this illustration. Uh, I think it was college baseball. Guy was running to first. Now, you know, that's the only base you can run over. Yes? And not be tagged out. He was tagged out. They played the replay back. He went past the base and went like this. See that foot? He turned it to second. You can run past it, no problem. But once you make a move to the next base, you are in play and you can be tagged out. And he's acting like, I didn't do it. No, no. You did it. This is what we do when we start the process of fleeing from God. We're going along and we turn. I'm not. That's second. I'm headed this way. No, you made the turn. This might be small, might be imperceptible. It's easy. Because, and this is something we see in America after coming back, even in a short time, people that have loved the word of God, loved the preaching of God for years, all of a sudden things in their family may change a bit. And since the Bible's not changed, well, this pastor just doesn't understand. It's the reason you went to the church in the first place was that preaching, which hasn't changed. But now, something in your family or in your heart has changed. You're going along and you made a move. You are now, you've taken the easiest step. The next steps will have you fleeing from the presence of God. You know how long people like that stay in a good church? Not too long. Because it's not just your church. They don't want to be submitted unto a holy God. Because their heart has changed. And they no longer feel they can trust the God that gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for them. They think they know better than God. And what's amazing to me is many times people, when they're in this condition, I've heard them say, you, you, you know, you try to figure out, you know, what's going on in your life with God? How are you doing? Oh, I've never been closer to God. <laughs> Liar. You know, I don't, that's not what you say back then, but no, you don't know what it means to be close to God. And you've just shouted loud and clear to everybody around you. You have no idea what it means to be in the presence of the Lord anymore. You've fled that. You've forsaken that to the point that now you're like, I'm I'm living the Christian life. No, you're not. You're living a worldly life with a Christian label on it. That you think now makes it like God doesn't understand. He, 
Jesus was here thousands of years ago. Life has changed since then. We need to adapt. Somebody said it this morning, Jesus, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There was no room for adaptation to a wicked culture in that verse. Christians try to flee from the presence of the Lord because they are afraid of what they think God will do or ask. You know how many times I've heard people say, oh, I, I don't know, I, I know I should submit to God, but if I do that, he may... Well, if I surrender to go to the mission field, I know he's going to send me to... Yes, because God is just that vengeful and hateful that he's going to send you someplace where he's not going to give you any grace to go with you. Do you think he really wants somebody to go? That He's going to send somebody who's so angry about it. You're all going to hell. All right, I'm back to the house. He's going to help you along the way. He'll give you what you need. But you start that process of fleeing from God by saying, I would do this. But I don't really know that I can trust God in this. Now, an interesting thing, look at verse 2 again. Uh, uh, sorry, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He fled to something from God. The devil's always going to be waiting there with a Tarshish for you. Something to start to draw you from God. And it, it could be at work in your life right now. We heard a great message last night about first, putting God first. When you allow something else to start to creep up in those areas of your life and start to claim ground in that area, you're building yourself a Tarshish that will make it easier to flee from God. Because now you have something to flee to. Tarshish was a, a city that had a lot of wealth, a lot of natural resources, something that looked wonderful and was probably, but the truth was, for, for Jonah, any place really would have worked. You know why? Where do you go to flee from God? This just shows us, too, how far he came from understanding who God was. I'm going to go to Tarshish. He'll never fight. I mean, Adam and Eve had that problem. Here comes God. They get this idea that I can hide from God. If I go here, and the funny thing is that he thought Tarshish is a place where God will not find me. People that flee from God, you know what they do? They go to places where they believe that there is no presence of God. Where they think God will not find them. Places of ill repute, places of sin and wickedness. God won't find me here because he doesn't, he doesn't dwell here. This is what Jonah had. It was easy. He had something to flee unto so he could flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah decided that this place would be the best place to go, some place to escape from the will of God. That's what he was doing. I mean, I don't know that he knew much about Tarshish. I don't think he knew much about these mariners that were going to take him there but he felt that this would be a better place to go to just to get him away from what God wanted. There could be people here this morning, in church on a Friday morning, that are entertaining Tarshish in their heart. 
you better put that down. Because the devil knows how to help lure you for a place to run unto away from God. Second thing, so fleeing is easy because it just starts with that little turn. But fleeing God is expensive. It will cost you. Verse, look at verse number 3 in the latter part. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He paid to get away from God. You know what? Christians do that too, even though they say, they, you know, I can't afford to tithe and whatnot. But when it comes time to flee from God, their pockets are full. And they're ready and willing and able to pay what it takes to get away from God. But it's not just money it will cost you. Fleeing from God is expensive in what it will do to you. And let's look and see. It's, it's expensive even to people around you. But guess what? You don't care about them. Jonah didn't care about them. He picked a ship that he was going to use to flee from God. As a prophet of God, he had to know from the history of Israel, God may do something to try to get my attention. And it might affect these poor people who have no idea who their paying passenger is. Look at, uh, look at verse number five. God had sent a mighty wind, a great wind, a mighty tempest. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it to, of them. Think about this. These people are taking goods from Joppa over to Tarshish for trading with what they had there. And what did they do? Jonah's sin caused them to have to throw it all overboard. It cost these people something as Jonah fled from God. When you flee from God, you often think, this only affects me. Big lie of the devil. It's going to affect you, your family, your friends, an entire sphere of people that you can't even identify. You know what happens when a man of God, again, it starts small, just a turn. But when they end up fleeing from the presence of God, you know what it does to the hearts of young men and young women who want to be the use of God? I had this happen when I was a teenager, a man of God that I respected and loved, a fantastic Bible teacher, fled from the presence of God. And somebody that had surrendered his life to God, I thought, why? And it kind of made me, what's going on? What, what happened to make this happen? It started making me doubt some things. Because this person decided that they were going to flee from the presence of God. It affects and, is, and it causes expense to many around. Not just you. Look at, uh, look at uh, verse, end of verse number five. But Jonah was gone down in the sides of the ship and he lay down and was fast asleep. He had no clue what these people around him were losing because of his disobedience. And if he did, he didn't care. This was about him. And they wake him up, and which gets, gets us to the third part there. Fleeing from God is exhausting. Because when we do things with the power of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, it kind of helps to lighten what we do for God. He's used, we allow him to use us. He works through us. When our flesh gets out of the way of that, it can, that's why when we are weak, he is strong. That's why when we suffer in the flesh, we cease from sin, the Bible says, because all of a sudden this flesh isn't standing in the way and God can do something through us. But, in this case, 
he's exhausted because he's relying and trusting on his flesh and what he thinks and not what God wants. Slave, then wake him up in the, in the midst of the violent storm. And it, it says in verse 10 there that uh, they were exceedingly afraid because he told them that he fled from the presence of the Lord. You know, there are Christians today that have fled from the presence of the Lord that are only too proud to tell the heathen around them, yeah, I fled from all that junk. I used to follow that until I realized the error of what they were saying, and I, I left it. No, you think you know better than God, and you're only too happy to broadcast that to people around you that I don't trust God. I know better than God. Look at, uh, look at, going through here quickly here, we'll get to verse number 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Now, verse 12, he told them, this is my fault, guys. Throw me overboard. And we read earlier that they prayed to their heathen gods. The heathen didn't want to take the life of, an, of a man who put them in this position. The heathen didn't want to do it. They said, no, we're going to row hard. We're going to beat this thing. But the man of God had no problem putting them in a position to face death because of his fleeing. Something's really messed up here. The guy that should be thinking about the souls of men was thinking about himself. And the guys who pray to wicked gods are thinking about the soul of a man. They said, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna outrun this. We're going to take care of this. We're going we're gonna to beat this. But finally, in verse 14, they cried not unto their heathen gods, but they cried unto the Lord. And they said, we beseech thee, O Lord. We, uh, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. And let us not... And let, lay not up upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So he took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Now I do want you to see something here. God can still get glory even when people are fleeing from his presence. Look at verse number 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. How about that? Men that Jonah wasn't even trying to show the greatness of God to saw the greatness of God in his dealing with Jonah. It was like a two-for-one thing. God's punishing Jonah and helping to show the truth of God to these heathen mariners. But as we, as we come to the finish up here and pull this all together, I want you to think about something, especially if you're thinking about fleeing from God, you have that foot turned. That storm that came, you flee from God, don't be surprised to find a storm chasing you. Because of the same reason that he left God in the first place, the mercy of God. God said, I still have something for you to do. I didn't give you leave. Let's shake things up a bit and get the storm rolling. And I love verse 17. Now, the world tries to explain this whole great fish or this whale or all this type. It could not have been a whale because, you know, you can't even fit a man's arm down the throat of a whale because it's not wide enough. They're only designed to eat plankton. I don't know about all of that except the Bible says the Lord prepared a great fish. First of all, it doesn't say whale. It says a great fish. And God prepared it. 
So I don't care what you say about what the science says about what's possible in this situation. God prepared it. It was a one-two move by God yet again. Let's create the storm to throw him in at my mercy. And because of my mercy and the fact that I'm not done with him, let me send a great fish. Like Brother George was talking about the other night, God wasn't reaching inside of Jonah and shaking his heart, but using these outside things to help bring him to the point where God wanted him to be. So what do we say about that? Thank you, God, for the great fish. Many of us at different times in our life might make that turn. Maybe take another step. And that storm comes. And God prepares something to recover us. We could say, thank you, God. God could have let Jonah die and say, you know what? Next. I mean, God had, God had a lot of people to choose from. He probably had some young sons of the prophets and whatnot that he could have said, this guy's raring to go. Come on, you go. I'm on my way. As Jonah sinks to the bottom. But God, in his mercy and in his plan, said, no, let me prepare a great fish. We'll allow Jonah to spend some time in there. And we'll see what that does to him. And then he can move on. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. And I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and now hurts my voice. God got his attention and he prayed. But now, you know, he's only crying out because of his affliction. I'm in affliction, God. So I'm crying to you and you hear me. God says, a little more time here. And in verse number 9, it says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed salvation of the Lord. And then God spake and he burped him right out. You know what? Have you ever done that? God, if you just get me out of this situation, I'll serve you with everything I've got. I, I have this mountaineer, uh, mountain climbing friend in the running space. He told me one time he was dangling off the side of a mountain. Like he'd missed his handhold and he's dangling here trying to find a way to get back up. We're talking very high up. You let go, it's done. And he said, that day I cried out to God. I said, God, if you help me get out of this, I'll go to church every day. And he proceeds to go on. I said, D- do you? He's like, what? I said, well, you're standing here. Do you go to church every day? He goes, no. <laughs> you know, I think God might have thought, well, Jonah, let's make sure this isn't going to be you. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, arise and go to Nineveh. Remember that thing you said in the belly, Jonah? Time to go. And now he went. And now God did something great. And God still had to do some working with Jonah there. But you know what? What we can see from this is we need to stay close and tight with the presence of God. Once you start to think that you know better than God, that you don't think that the mercies of God should be extended to other people, that you don't like what God may have planned for your life without even waiting for him to show you what it is, and giving you the grace and the ability to do what it is he's called you to do, you start to turn. You make that slight, almost imperceptible lean to go away from God. Let me read you a couple verses and we'll be through. Exodus 33, 14 and 15 says, And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said to him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up thence. Hence, when you spend some time in the presence of the Lord, and I believe we've had some of that time this week, it becomes sweet to you. God, I'll do this, but I'm not doing it without your presence. 
Psalm 1611. Look there and we'll be through. Psalm 1611. I don't know. I mean, in the end of the Gospels, as Jesus was going back to heaven, he said that he would be with us always, even unto the end of the world. Now, the thing is, this is something we can't see this presence of God with us, that he promised to be with us. But that's until that faith becomes sight. And we spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God, seeing him. If that's what's eternity, that's what's waiting for us, why would you want to take this time now and run away from his presence? From what he wants for you to do. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In thy presence is fullness of joy. What are you going to get going to Tarshish? Heartache, grief, and a whole lot of damage along the way because you decided you knew better than God. And I can't tell you one. I mean, if you're, in a, you're a Christian walk right now and you're like, well, no, I don't know about the presence of God. I don't know that I felt it. You need to get closer to God. You need to spend some time with God and get in his presence because you won't want to leave it. You'll feel so secure and so in thy presence is fullness of joy. I, last year, as we we're getting ready to leave Greece, a friend of mine had been begging me to go skydiving with him. And he said, I'll take care. I'll get you there and all that. I was like, okay. My wife said, go do it one time. Okay. And so I went to do this, and believe it or not, I wasn't that nervous as we went to step off the plane. And I had the instructor strapped to my back, or something like that, they said. You know, you can't see it. But they said, well, okay, well, I'll say one, two, three, and we're off. You can't hear anything when you're in the airplane with the doors off. You don't hear a thing. Well, they push off, I think. Maybe I just fell. You don't know, because there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening right then. And at 120 miles an hour, you start dropping. Now, here's the interesting thing. I can't see the instructor. The instructor could still be on the airplane. Wait! <laughs> the instructor, I, I, you know, I kind of looked to the side, which is hard to do when you've like, got this forces blowing at you. I kind of looked to my side like, is she over there? Is she over there? You know, where, where is this instructor? I can't feel. I can't see. But then that moment comes when the parachute gets pulled. And I hear, we have an open chute. It's all good. Okay, now I can breathe and know. It doesn't matter that I can't see. I know I'm in the presence of safety right now. I wasn't scared on the way down. I figured, you know what? Be the biggest bungee jump in the world. If this thing, you know, something goes wrong with this, I'll be back up with the Lord in no time. But the truth was, I figured this person's done this 11,000 times. Somebody said, how do you know she's good? Well, she's, she's alive. You know? <laughs> this is what she does for a living. And, but if I trust somebody I met one hour before with my safety, why would we try to run away from the one who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that counted us worthy to put us in the ministry that gave unto us as stewards of the, ministry, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can use anything. He says, I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to go tell other people about what I just did on the cross for them. Why would you want to leave that? Especially when for all eternity we get to be in the actual presence of God. 
and God gives us a taste of it now, you don't want to run away from that. Wait for the storms, wait for all this stuff to come. But maybe this morning you are having that little bit of Tarshish creep up. Maybe you're taking that turn away. Maybe you're still enjoying and living in the love and gladness and joy of the, of the presence of God. Take it as a cautionary message then. Don't turn away. It's not worth it. And you don't know what kind of damage you could do. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Holy Father, we thank you so much for putting this book in your word to allow us to learn from a man who had a, a rough start in preaching your message to the people you sent him to. But Lord, from it, we can learn from his failings, Lord, his, the problems that he created, Lord, and what I pray you'd help each one of us. We're living in a world that it may, it may have been worse before, Lord, but it's never been publicized and broadcasted as bad as it is now. And Lord, there's things coming at us from all sides to try to get us to tip and start that turn away from the presence of you. Help us, Lord, to seek it and to love it and to bathe in it and to just enjoy the joyfulness and the glory of your presence. Until the day, Lord, that you call us home and we get to be with you for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for this meeting, Lord, that I believe is really just, it's helped me, Lord, bring me more close to you and pray for others as well. Pray for that soul this morning that might be struggling, that you'd work in their heart. Lord, use something, Lord, then maybe this message, maybe one of the other messages, Lord, that you would tap them, remind them of what you've done and what you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.